have been in a, a series about the fire of God and how to fan that fire in your life because if you walk with the Lord for any number of years, you probably experienced that at times in your life you were not as on fire as you were when you started. And, and so if you lose that fire, how do you get it back? Or if you've never had the fire at all? Maybe you were here and you're like, I'm confused. I don't feel a thing. I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about of experiencing this glory of, of God. Then how do you get the fire of God in your life? And we've been working through ways to, to get and maintain the glory of God. And today, I want to give you the single greatest place that you can experience the fire of God. The one place that you continue to return to and experience the glory of God. And it's over the word of God. In Jeremiah 23, 29, God says this, It's not my word like a fire. It's not my word like a fire. Think with me for a moment about what fire is used for. It, it brings light. It brings heat, and it purifies things, right? And so as the Word of God is saying, as God is saying to us, is not my Word like a fire. He is saying that through His Word, and it comes to us most often through this, through this written Word that has been left for us, that we find that the Word of God is light. It's light unto our path. It is the light that we need to make the decisions and go in the direction of our life. It is light and it is heat that it, it warms us. <laughs> if you are here with a cold heart, I can tell you that the Word of God can melt that cold heart. <laughs> that the Word of God can not only melt a cold heart, but it can set it on fire. It can take wet wood and burn off the moisture and make it burn bright again. The Word of God can heal you. And the Word of God often heals us by this purifying work, which some of us would just assume not have. <laughs> when it comes and it burns away everything that is not like God, and when that happens, it is not always pleasant because the moments where it is not pleasant is the moments where this thing that is not like God is something that really our heart has connected itself to. We like it, so we don't want it to go. And yet God in his love for us says, but it, but it must, and I'm going to continue to heat it and burn it until I burn it off. Why? Because he loves you that much. Not to destroy you, no, but to burn off the things that are not like him. And so I just believe today that there are people in this room, and when it comes to the word of God, you would love to have the word of God set your heart on fire. I believe that that is a, a hunger for the people of God. But many of us would say, yeah, but Kevin, I tried that, and, and it didn't go well. When I picked it up and read it, it seemed dead and it seemed cold and it seemed boring. And I, I tried it, but I, I just couldn't do nothing with it. And so I just put it back down. And so 
before I get to how we use the Word of God so that it might light that fire inside of us, I want to go over some ways that we can read the Word of God that it actually never is going to bring fire to your life. There are some ways that you can read it. And you read it that way and fire will not come. In fact, it will probably keep the fire from coming. There's a right way and a wrong way to read Scripture. And so before we get into the right way, I want to see if maybe there are some wrong ways that we need to address so that God might purify those things from us. Are we okay with that? Amen. All right, this first part's going to hurt a little bit. <laughs> there, there are times, and, and I don't know that if anybody's in the room like this, but you're going to run into folks like this in the world, and so you need to be ready for it. If we have some young people that are going off to college, I can tell you that this is going to happen when you get there because it happened to me particularly if you go to a secular college, which, which I did, which is this. Some people read the Word of God so that they may prove it false. Some people don't want it to be true. Amen. I know when I went to college, I had professors, and they had these classes that they thought, they called them religion classes. And I thought, that sounds good. I, I need some electives. I'll take one of those. Little did I know. That the person teaching that religion class did not respect this word. In fact, he disrespected it every chance he got. And he tried to convince me that it wasn't true. And scripture actually says that's going to happen. In, in his word, 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says this. It says that the word of God in, in Jesus Christ himself, Jesus who is the living word, it said to some who are perishing it is foolishness. You're going to encounter people, and they have a, a preset disposition that this isn't true. They don't want it to be true. And when they read the Word of God, they are reading it to try to find fault with it. Amen. And I almost lost my faith in college because I, I began to, to listen to their things. And, and, and I began to ponder the things that they said in my heart. And I, I wasn't stable in the Word of God to where I could stand on it. And it rocked me. And I can tell you that if you hang around people, you don't even have to hang around people like my professors. You can hang around people who simply do not believe and walk according to the Word of God. And if you're not careful, if you hang around people who do not respect the Word of God, they will kill the dreams and the plans of God for your life. It will destroy faith in you. It will suck the life out of you. And so you may need to consider some of the folks that you are hanging around. Because Scripture says, to those, it is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who believe, it's the power of God. It's life. So sometimes you've got to figure out the company that you're keeping. And then some people, they read it with the wrong assumptions, with false assumptions about God. Now stay with me here. I want to take you to a man whose name was Saul. And you'll find him in Scripture. And oddly enough, this man writes a, a great portion of the New Testament. But when he writes it, his name is now Paul. You see, he had to have a name change. Because when he was Saul, he was a Pharisee. And he says over in Philippians, he said, I was zealous. I was a good one. 
I was religious. I was well taught in the word of God. And he's blinded on the road with an encounter with the living word, Jesus himself. And it makes him blind. And this man, Saul, who has been brought up, who they had memorized the word. Meaning this, Saul had forgotten more stuff than you remember. Think about that. He'd forgotten more stuff than you remembered. He knew the word, but he had to completely relearn everything he'd ever been taught. He had to be completely taught again. Because Scripture says this, to the one who does not know Christ, Scripture is veiled. And it is only when you turn to Christ that the veil comes off. I've had some people that say, Kevin, when I read the Word, I just can't understand it. Can I tell you the first place I go? I go to see if that person has a relationship with Jesus Christ at all. Because if there is no relationship with Jesus, then there is no Holy Spirit. Then there is no way to interpret the Word of God. It's going to be veiled. And it is only when you see Jesus... And unfortunately, Saul had to see him in such a way that it blinded his eyes. Isn't that funny? It blinded him to the world, but in that he saw Jesus, and it opened up all of Scripture to him. Yeah. If you do not know God for who he is, the God of love, the God of goodness, the God of all creation, if you don't know him accurately, you will read crazy stuff into Scripture. And I'll leave it there. Some people read the Word of God out of obligation. Oh, no, nobody in here ever did that, right? Hmm, nobody in here. I'm talking about your friends. I'm not talking about you. Hmm. Some people read the Word out of obligation. But over in 1 John 5, 3, it says this, that the commands of God are not burdensome for those who love Him. The, the, the commands of God are, are not burdensome. For those that, that love Him and love his, his Word. I have found that when the Word of God is a burden, it is because in some way or another, our heart is not right. Come on, sir. And, and what we need to do is rather than put the Word aside, we need to allow the Word of God to inspect our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because it's not supposed to be a burden. If reading the Word of God is a burden to you, you ain't doing it right. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to change the way you do it. I'll just tell you, you're not doing it right. Some people read the Word of God and they get puffed up. Puffed up. Jesus spoke in, in Matthew chapter 16 about the those same Pharisees, and he said, you need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What is leaven? Leaven is yeast, and it causes the dough to rise, Right? Now, there's only one place that Jesus ever speaks about leaven, and it's a good thing. Every other time he speaks of leaven, it's a bad thing, and he's speaking of the Pharisees. What is he talking about? He's saying religion will puff you up. If you read the Word of God to, uh, to, to grow in simply knowledge of the Word, then you will get puffed up. You will become religious, and sometimes you can become very fervent, meaning that the Pharisees loved the Word of God. The only problem is they didn't love other people, <laughs> which was the real test of whether or not the Word of God was having its perfect way in us. And so religion 
you have to be careful with it because it puffs you up and it makes you think that you're somehow better than everybody else. It makes you think that everybody else's problems are worse than yours. That you're in good shape. They're in bad shape. It's us and them. And Jesus never created us and them. So you got to be careful not to read the word so that you get puffed up. And then we read the word of God. And, and this came to me as this word. And I'm just going to give it to you the way I got it. Sometimes we read the word of God and we weaponize it. Weaponize it. What do I mean by weaponize it? Well, it can look a little bit like this. Sometimes we want people to do what we want them to do. And so we sharpen the word of God into a spear so that we can poke and prod them and make them do what we want them to do. Uh (laughs) And so we weaponize the word. We use it it to to beat people into submission. (laughs) Do you know that Jesus never beat anybody into submission He just gave the word and said, here it is. Take it, leave it, I'm going. You want to follow me? That is still the way it's done. Jesus says, you don't have to follow me. But if you do, you'll find life. But he never weaponized the the word. There, There are times where we have our mindset and we want to do something and we look into the word of God until we can find a verse that allows us to do what we want to do. Anybody ever done that? Like you just picking through, trying to find a verse. And what you end up doing is you take a verse completely out of context, completely out of its meaning because you've already decided what you want the Word of God to say. So rather than being a sword, you create a spear and you weaponize the Word. The Word was never meant to be used like that. And then... The last two. Some only read the word sporadically. Which is a great danger. Because I assure you that you don't eat sporadically. Or you wouldn't be well. You don't bathe sporadically. Or you wouldn't be clean. But there are times that if we admitted it, we'd say we read the word sporadically. You know what I'm talking about, right? You, you, you pick it up and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm going to read. And, and you never know how people are going to do it, you know? So I've heard people say, I just pick it up and let it fall. And, and wherever it falls, I just point. I've heard that, y'all. I'm not making this up. And I just, and I just read there. And I'd say, you know, that that might work for you on occasion, but you can get over there in Psalms when it said they took the babies and they dashed their heads against the rock. And at that point, you might need some context. Yeah. (laughs) I'll tell you something real quick while I'm on this thing of sporadic, okay, that there are some tools, and I'll I'll put them out on the Tuesday too. It's our our email that comes out Tuesdays at 2 o'clock. You can sign up for that on the website. But there's some ways in which you can get into the Word so that you don't have to just let it flop open or just pick something randomly and, and, and read it. We've got some folks reading in chronological order. You can see that. We're, we're reading it in the order that they, they've been written. Um, there's a great some material out there. I'll throw these out to you. One is how to read the Bible for all it's worth. I'll put that on the, on the, the website. Okay, It's a book that helps you to know how to read the Bible. You know? 
how to read the Bible for all it's worth. There's another one that if you're in the New Testament and you want to follow the New Testament in the order it's written, Frank Viola, he writes a book called The Untold Story. Beautiful way to read through the, the New Testament. But a bad way, again, to read the Bible is sporadically. Because we don't want a sporadic fire. <laughs> we want a fire that rages and rages and gets stronger and stronger and never burns out. But a lot of times, I bet you have found is that your fire tends to go out as your reading seems to decline. And it has to get to a place where you get so desperate, so dry and hungry that you go, I probably ought to get back to the Word. <laughs> and then you get back to the Word, and all of a sudden what happens? It begins to feed you, and all of a sudden the fire comes. And so we, we need a way to break the cycle of this sporadic reading. And the only thing worse than reading the Bible sporadically is not reading it at all. <laughs> not reading it at all. And so for the person who doesn't even read the Word of God, I would say, I don't know how you will ever know His nature. I don't know how you'll ever know His ways. I don't, ever, I don't know how you will ever know the truth if you don't pick this up. And I've heard this said, and I want to say this real quick. I've had people say to me, Kevin, you know what? I, I just struggle with the Word. I'd rather just have a prophetic word from someone. Listen, I love a good prophetic word. Don't get me wrong. But do you know for every prophetic word you get, you're supposed to take it back to this to see if it's even true. <laughs> you, you don't even know if it's true. You don't know if you should follow it unless you have put it back to this to see if it is consistent or not. So that being said, those are some of those ways that we read. And if we read them that way, I assure you the fire won't fall. And some of you are probably saying, okay, enough of that. How do I get the fire to fall, right? How can the Word of God melt my cold heart, set my heart on fire, uh, heal me, make me fall in love with God? Turn to Psalm 5.3. And I'm going to read a, a translation that is fairly new. We're going to put it up on the, the screen here. This is called the Passion translation and here is how it is written in the passion it says every morning i lay out the pieces of my life on the altar and i wait for your fire to fall upon my heart mm, isn't that good i so 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 love the, the passion translation of that verse now, some of you that have your Bibles, I'm going to explain because it probably looks different to you. So I'm going to get to that. But I want to say this first. One of the first things that we need to do to make sure the fire of God falls is to realize that you don't approach the Word of God like you approach a magazine or like you approach a newspaper or like you approach reading something online. <laughs> There's more to this than reading. You don't just read the Bible. Are you ready for this? You have to encounter God over it. I can go home right there. If you got that, if you got that, I can go home. 
Most people never get the fire of God because all they ever do is sit down to read the Bible. You don't sit down to read the Bible. You sit down to have an encounter with God. Good word, Kevin. I'll clap for myself right there. <laughs> you it was never meant just to read. It's not an ordinary book. This is the means by which you encounter God. Now, how do you do it? Look at what it says. Every morning. Now, that tells me something. It tells me that if I want the fire of God, there has to be consistency in how I meet with God. That I need to have some regular times of getting together. David says, I do it every morning. I have found that the things we do with consistency, we do because they are a priority. I'm going to say that one more time. The things we do with consistency, we do them because they are a priority. We go to work every day because paying your bills are a priority. <laughs> you eat because your belly tells you that eating is a priority. You brush your teeth. I tell you like the woman at the dental clinic told me. Y'all, I brush my teeth. I do. But I hate flossing. Can't stand it. And, and I can't lie because you know I'm a preacher. <laughs> Puts me in a bad spot when I go to the dentist. And the dental hygienist, she looks at me and she says, Sir, do you, uh, do you floss? I said, Yes, ma'am. Twice a year when I come to you. One of them looked at me one time. She said, well, you know what? You should only floss the ones you want to keep. I said, do you preach on the side? Do you preach? You, 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 should, you should only meet God on a regular basis if it's a priority and you want fire in your life. And if you want fire in your life, then you got to make it a, a priority. It says that... That he, he puts the pieces of his life on the altar. And you say, now, wait a minute, I don't see that in my verse. In my verse, it may say that I put my request or I put my sacrifice or I put my prayer before God. So where do we get this thing of putting my life on the altar? You see, this is written by David. And David was part of a system where there was a morning and an evening sacrifice. There were two lambs every day. One is slaughtered and sacrificed for the morning offering. One is sacrificed and given for the evening offering. Because God told Moses, don't let the fire go out. So there has to be, a, there has to be something on the altar all the time. <laughs> we realize now, let me say this, that when Jesus comes, he becomes that Lamb of God, right? He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He becomes the perfect sacrifice. He is the morning and the evening sacrifice. But there's something here in David that we need to get. David says, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, but if the fire's going to fall, it has to fall on something. So he says, in the morning, I make myself the sacrifice. I give God my heart. I give God my request. So you see, whenever you meet with God, you're not just reading what you're doing is you're bringing your problems to God. You see, there are some days you've got to get before God and you say, God, today i got to lay the pieces of my life on the altar. God, I'm hurting today. 
I'm, I'm confused today. But I'm going to bring my hurt and my confusion over the word. And I'm going to read until I find the answers that I need till you set my heart on fire. Yeah. There, there are times where you, you don't understand something. And what do you do? You meet with God over the word. There, there are times where you've got dreams and you've got hopes. And you don't need to run off with your dreams and hopes until you have encountered God. And you said, God, here's my hopes. Here are my dreams. Does that line up with you? God, are my hopes and dreams like yours? Because if they are, I know that you will see to it that they are done. But if I run off here with my own hopes and dreams, there's no guarantee that it'll ever happen. We got to bring everything. And we got to meet with God over the Word so that he can, he can speak to us. And then it says... And I wait. Oh, that four-letter word. Do you see it? That nasty four-letter word. <laughs> wait. Wait right there. That got some of you. It's gotten me. The waiting. When you bring your problem over the word, and, and you read about six verses, and you go... I got to go and get to work. I ain't feel a thing. You hop up and run. And then the next day, you're like, you know what? I'm busy. I just got to hop up to work and, and go. And you realize that you're not waiting on the answer. Can I tell you that when you read the word, you ought to encounter him and you ought to wait until you do. You should wait until you do. Now, there'll be days that God is, is actually going to make you wait and the reason we don't like that four-letter word wait is because it stirs up all the stuff that is not like God. You see, it stirs up impatience. You don't know how impatient you are until you have to wait for something, don't you? Amen. But see, if you're going to be effective in the kingdom, you've got to know how to be patient. You've got to know how to endure. And sometimes he's going to stir that up so that he, he can draw that out of you. There are times that while you're waiting, you become frustrated. Mm, that didn't happen to anybody, did it? You're like, you know what? He's not going to answer. So I'm going to go do this myself. Ooh, that's about to get bad, isn't it? it just, just a little, little brief survey right here. Anybody ever walked away from an encounter with God over his word and said, you know what? I haven't heard from God, so I'm just going to go on and do it this way. Did that go well for anybody in the room? Did you like, that went swimmingly. No, no, you got to know how to wait because here's what God says over in Proverbs. I think it's 25 too. He says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter or to conceal his glory. It's the glory of kings to search it out. Do you know a lot of times what the waiting does is God says, I need to purify your heart because right now your motives are not pure. Right now, your, your motives, you want a little bit of me, but a little bit of you. You want a, a little bit of the truth, but a little, you still want to hang on to this lie that you believe in too. And, and so I'm going to let you wait right there until you become so desperate. Maybe you even go off and try it your way. And then you come back and you say, okay, God, I'll wait until you meet me there. Because <laughs> I've gone and I've done it my way, and it was a mess. And so now, God, I'm, 
I'm desperate for you. And I'm desperate for answers. Then I'm not moving. Moses told God, God said, get up and go from here. Moses said, I'm not going <laughs> until I know that you're going with me, God. Oh, that all of us would have that mindset. That we say, God, <laughs> that'd be the one time we say, God, I ain't going. <laughs> Is if we were saying, God, I'm not going unless I am sure you are going with me. I am not moving. I'm not packing my bags. I'm not going on to the next thing until I know that I know that you're in this. And then I go, see, I wait. And I wait for the fire. And where does it fall? On my heart. The fire is supposed to fall on your heart. Let me take you to verse number 2. It is in Psalm 119, 11. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against God. I have hidden your word in my heart. If you want the word of God to move beyond obligation, then you have to hide the word in your heart so it becomes transformation. The fire has to fall in our heart, not in our head. And if it just stays in our head, we often do things out of obligation. But that's not what we're looking for. We're, we're looking for transformation. We're looking for God to change us. And the only way he changes us is when the word moves from our head and it gets implanted in our heart. The devil could care less how much scripture you memorize. He could care less how much scripture you memorize. It doesn't matter to him. You can quote the whole Bible if you like. He knows it quite well. <laughs> what he cares about is when the word of God gets planted in your heart. Because when it gets planted in your heart, now something's going to change. But most of us, we only let it stay up there in our heads. And we think if we know a verse, then we know the truth of it. I don't know how many times I've sat with somebody and I'll give a verse for them and I think it's a pretty doggone good one. And they look at me and they say, I know. And they almost look disappointed like, that's all you got, Kevin? That's all you, that's, that, that verse is all you have. They'll say, I know. And then one of the most loving things I can do is look back at you and go, no, you don't. No, you don't know. You don't know because if you knew, if you truly knew, if you knew the way God wants you to know, it would be in your heart and it would be changing you. But since it hasn't changed your behavior, you don't know it yet. Can I tell you that? Go on and quit deceiving yourself and thinking just because you know something in your head that you know it. If it hasn't changed the way you're living, you don't know the truth. So you got to sit before the word and you got to meditate on it until the word of God moves from your head and it drops down in your heart. And then you begin to say, wait a minute, you know what? I really do believe he is my good shepherd. I really do believe. Do you know that when the fear goes away, that starts to be a good sign that you actually know the truth? Because let's just be real honest right here. If I'm fearful in that moment, it's because I don't know the truth of God related to that moment. Amen. Because perfect love is supposed to cast out fear. And God is love. 
And so if God is in it, there shouldn't be any fear. But if there's fear there, it means that I might know something. I might be able to quote a verse. And that's good. That's a good starting point. Keep quoting it. But you got to do more because it's got to get into your heart where it settles you. You see, when faith rises, it means that I've moved from it being intellectual to now I believe he will do what he says he will do. <laughs> it says, I will hide your word. Other places, it, it talks about the, the word of God being the, being the treasure. My New American Standard, it, 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 it talks about the treasure. And I want to bring out this point, that you will hide the things you treasure. You'll hide the things you treasure. None of you take all of your money and set it out on the front porch at night and go to sleep. You don't put your money on the... You don't, you don't wave your credit card around everywhere. Why? Because you treasure that thing. You hide it. You put it in your wallet. You put it in your purse. You make sure you have it everywhere you go. Some of you fellas, you got some guns and you lock them in safes. Why? Because you don't want nobody to get them. Some of you women have some jewelry. And you put it all in the same place where you can go back to it. Why? Because you treasure it and so you hide it. It's not for public consumption. Can I tell you that the first work is an internal work? You got to hide it in your heart. It's not for public consumption yet. I got to get it inside of me first. If you're going to give something away, you got to give it out of the overflow. Amen. Yeah. Not while you're still practicing. Okay? A lot of us, we still practicing. We don't know if it works or not. We're like, try this. I just want to see if it'll work. <laughs> no. No, you've got to treasure that thing in, inside of you and, and let it grow in there. And then this last scripture that I bring to you, Psalm 1. If you'll follow me there. Psalm 1. David says in verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Oh, you see that? His delight. Where is it? It's in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Meditation is that process that takes something from my head and it moves it into my heart. It's, it's more than memorization. And when you memorize scripture... And that's becoming more and more important to me as I, as I grow older. But memorization of Scripture is important because you don't always have this with you. And so you need to be ready. So memorization is important. But I would say as you memorize, you must meditate. Now, what is meditating? Some people would say it, it's soaking. It's, it's drawing out every little bit. It's reading everything. If you're looking at a story of Jesus, I try to put myself there. I try to imagine the surroundings. I try to smell the sheep. I just want to get it all. I, I'm, I'm, I'm meditating on this thing. I want to put myself in the, in the picture. If there's, if there's a, a, a verse, I want to pick that thing apart, every little piece, and see how I might apply it to my life. You see, that's, that's meditation. That takes some work. You can't do that in five minutes. And just so I can say this, you need more than a devotional life. Can I tell you that? We, a lot of times, gave out devotions. It was a Jesus Calling book. And it was a great way to get people going. But can I tell you that a devotion is just a start. It's not the, the sum of your life. 
meaning that you can't let somebody give you a verse and tell you what it means, and that feeds you all your life. Nah, see, that's baby Christianity right there. I don't know if you thought that was the real deal, but that's the beginning point. You're supposed to be able to sit before God and encounter His Word and know it for yourself. So I'm not saying to stop your devotions. I'm saying it might be time that you move beyond your devotional life. And it could be that the problems you're facing, you're facing them because you have a devotional relationship. It's not deep enough yet. It's not deep enough to carry you through what God wants to carry you. So we, we meditate, and then we meditate until we can demonstrate the Word of God when it becomes action. Quick story. A group of uh, Christian students at a, at a Bible training college implemented a time of soaking for their students. It was a time, mandatory time every day that their students had to get with God, spend time with Him in His presence, spend time with God over His Word, meditate on Scripture. And here's what they noticed, that when their students began to meditate over the Word of God, they stopped coming to the counselors for counseling as much. Imagine that. They stopped coming to the leaders of the Bible college trying to get advice for every situation in their life. You know why? Because they began to encounter God. And they set their plans before God. And they set their problems before God. And do you know that if you are faithful to do that, He will be faithful to let the fire fall. He will be faithful to give you answers, instructions for your life. That's why when some of you come to me, you'll say, Hey, Kevin, what does this verse mean? And I will respond back, What do you think it means? And some of you, <laughs> and some of you will say, I, I heard the Lord say this. What, what do you think that means? And I'll say, Well, did you ask him? And do you, you know what I find a lot of times? is that people are asking me questions because they don't want to do the hard work of encountering God for themselves. And so they'll come up and they'll say, what do you think I should do with the rest of my life? What do I think you should do with the rest of your life? That's none of my business. What do you think? What does God think you should do? With the rest of your life. <laughs> Listen, I'm not pointing you back to God because I'm lazy. <laughs> because I, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I point you back to the word and to God because I love you so much. That I want you to grow up. And that I want you to be a baby. And I know that if you keep coming to me looking for answers, you'll never be able to find them for yourself. So there are times that I have to look at you and say, I don't know what you think. Because when you get it, you got it. But if you heard it from me, you go off in there. Here's what happens. You can't live on the mountain. You know that, right? So whatever you hear, you got to take that thing down into the valley. And you got to fight it out. you got to slug it out among the world. Is what you heard from God true and will it stand? And if I was the one that told you to go do it, then when you get into the valley, you will look back at me and go, What did you tell me to do? What were you thinking? Why did you tell me that? 
one of the greatest things I ever did is I looked at my father-in-law and I said, Steve, I think I'm supposed to go into ministry. And he waited and waited, which seemed like eternity. It was probably a minute. It felt like it was 50 minutes. And I said, uh, are you going to say anything? And he started smiling. He said, yeah, I know. I said, you know what? He said, I know you're supposed to be in ministry. I said, really? I'm like, why didn't you tell me? He said, because one day you're going to be challenged. And it's going to get hard. And in those days, you need to know that you're in ministry because you got before God and God told you that's where you're supposed to be. Some of the best advice I ever had. He said, but if I told you too soon, then you'd run off and you'd do it. But when it got to the hard parts, you'd quit because you said, Steve was wrong. That wasn't God's will for my life. He said, but, but if you'll fight it out, and if you'll know it for yourself, then when the struggle comes, you won't quit. Whew, can I tell you, I wouldn't be standing right here today had I not met with God. And found his word for my life apart from Steve Bishop. <laughs> now then people can come alongside of you and they can confirm that word. And he did. And they can encourage you in it. But you got to know God's word for yourself. You got to do the hard work. And I'll close with this. You are in better shape than David. <laughs> I think David read the word right. He, he set his heart before the Lord. In fact, let's go back to Psalm 5.3. Uh, where... David read it right. He knew that every morning he had to lay his life out before the altar of God and wait for the fire of God to fall. But David didn't have Jesus. David had the Word, but he didn't have Jesus in the flesh. Jesus in the flesh comes much later. But you do. <laughs> you see, David was looking at the, the Old Testament Word. The, the, he was looking at the, the law. Can I tell you, you've got a better word? Amen. You, you have the word made flesh. You have Jesus. And if you want the fire to fall, then realize that you're not just reading this thing. That you have set it before you so that you might encounter the person of Jesus in your life. So that then the person of Jesus might take away your fear. That the person of Jesus might answer the questions that you have. Might direct you when you have problems in your life. That Jesus himself will come and look you in the eyes with fire in his. And burn away the things that are not like him. So my question to you is this. Are you ready to move from just reading the word? to setting before God with His Word and meeting Him there. Meeting Him there over His Word. And will you make it such a priority? And can I tell you that if you are one that says, I want the fire of God in my life. I want to be set on fire. I'll tell you that it's going to happen over His Word. You're going to have to have His Word. And so I want to know today, is there anybody here they would look at the way that they read the Word of God differently and say, you know what, I'm going to change some things. I'm going to change some things. I'm, I'm going to sit before God and I'm going to wait and I'm going to meditate and I'm going to hide those things in my heart. 
when you meet with God and you wait, you have to wait with an expectation that he will come. You have to wait with expectation. You have to believe that he'll meet you here. You have to believe that you can understand it. You have to believe that the glory of God will be revealed through his word. Some of you don't have much expectation. And I want to pray right now that the glory of God would come and fill you full of hope that if you would set before God and begin to read his word, that he would begin to speak to you and that the fire would fall. And if it doesn't fall, it's probably because there's some purifying that has to be done. There's some things that have to be burned off. There's some mixed up desires that have to get sorted out so that you can say honestly, God, you and you alone I seek. God, it's you I want. And I assure you, and you hear me say this, I assure you that God will speak. I assure you, God will come. 